Hell is Bad Vibes. Today's video is featuring Jensen and Demon Creep. If you enjoy their narrations, please check them out. Jensen does all kinds of stuff, including horror parodies. And Demon Creep has two channels, one for true stories and one for fictional. So go check them out. Their links are in the description. And sit back, relax, and enjoy. This happened 15 years ago when I had just came home from college on winter break. Home this time was not the house I grew up in. My parents had just moved closer to our small city, so it just didn't feel the same to be in a different space. Maybe that's what triggered my worry. In my family, I'm always the one thinking of the worst case scenarios, generally distrustful and mostly seeming like an annoying worry word. Call it what you want, but it's also a gift of fear, am I right? One cold night, my parents had gone to bed upstairs and the dog had followed suit. I thought I would watch TV in the living room for a bit before going to sleep and settled in on the couch. The living room was in front of the house and with the recent move, the shutters on the windows weren't there at the time, only see-through curtains that weren't really drawn. I noted this but was used to our rural settings when the only ones they could see in were neighbors that we knew so well. I'm watching TV for a half hour when the screen cuts out. It just goes snowy. This happened back in the days when you watched whatever your local channels brought you. I looked up from whatever I was doing, maybe texting, back when you had flip phones. At first thinking, well, that sucks, but something fell off. I tried the remote, but no other channels worked and was just sitting there thinking of what I should do instead when my cat jumps up onto the windowsill and starts wailing. It may seem innocuous, but anyone who knew my cat knew this wasn't par for the course. He was pacing and wailing at the window. A feeling of dread washed over me, and I was frozen. That feeling of dread is so fiercely visceral. What the hell was going on? What is out there? I tried to settle myself down in this unfamiliar dark house and felt a bit better, because what are the chances? But then there it was. I swear on everything I have that this cold gust of air blew through and that I heard the sliding door. I didn't realize that the door was there at the time. I just heard a door on the side of the house and felt cold air. I became unfrozen. I bolted. I ran upstairs to wake up my parents and slumbering dog and frantically tell them someone is trying to get into the house. They I think were annoyed. I'm a worrier remember? Still they get up. I think trying to placate me by looking around the house. They go check all the rooms including the basement while I'm scared and exasperated. They are sleepily roaming around the dark rooms unarmed when God knows who has probably made its way inside. Well they didn't find anything. They verbally patted me on the head and said goodnight and I felt foolish. That is until next morning. I don't know what prompted my parents to call the police, but they showed up and asked me, how did you know someone was there? Whoa, hold up, what? I started answering. Well, the cat was meowing a lot on the windowsill and my voice trailed off, waiting for a reaction I usually get, which I got. The cop smirks, a cat, huh? He goes on to say that someone cut the cable wires on the side of the house that either someone thought they were disarming the alarm or they saw me watching TV and wanted to mess with me. And the sliding door? Muddy Grounds gave us the ability to see fresh tracks right up to it. 
It didn't look like it had been fooled with, but I know what I heard, whatever it was. I knew it, I said to my parents. The triumphant feeling was short-lived. When I started to mull, what I was so sure about had been true. True, I did know someone was out there. I also knew that I would always check that sliding door and take some cues from the cat just to be safe. My wife and I travel often, city to city, and at one point we settled down in Vegas for a few months. There was one night we were arguing after work, headed towards Henderson, which is a city outside of Vegas with lots of isolated streets out that way. I was sitting reclined in the passenger seat when she ran over something and the tire definitely popped. My wife got out and checked and confirmed it. Within seconds, a woman with an ice car pulls up behind us. I saw that she was a woman laid back in the seat, still mad, still stubborn, and figuring that she was just checking on my wife and assuming she was alone. The woman said she had a brother-in-law with a tow truck and that he could definitely tow our car for free of charge to a shop. My wife asked why she was being so kind and she said something like, Us sisters gotta stick together. I'm helping you out. She then got back in the car and my wife told me she was going to follow us with her hazards on to this empty dark parking lot in front of a grocery store nearby to get us off the road. I still didn't think this was weird at all. My wife was very confident that this woman was genuine and really wanted to help. So we pull into the parking lot and my wife gets out. I'm still laying back. This woman doesn't even know I'm in here yet. She starts talking to my wife about how she changed her life within a year and that she could put her on what she does. It seems believable. She looked very nice and her car was definitely expensive. My wife keeps on insisting that we can just call a tow truck. He feels bad that she was taking time away from her. We could afford it. The woman kept insisting her brother-in-law was coming, be patient, and that he really doesn't mind. She even offered at some point to drive my wife around the area, looking for a shop that was open, but my wife had already googled some places. She told her that's smart, and they kept talking. No suspicion, honestly. She then starts to ask my wife why she's in Vegas, since we had New York plates. My wife replies for an adventure and doing something new. The woman asks if she has family she's close to, or a boyfriend, and that she could introduce her to some of her friends to get well acquainted or whatever. She motions over to me and says, well, I have a husband, and the woman looked like a deer in headlights. I politely waved. She leans over and finally sees me, stares at me for a few seconds and immediately gets in the car, instantly. I've never seen someone look at me like that, like she had to get far away from me. She tells my wife that she has to go to a store that's opening soon. That her brother-in-law is taking too long, but he will be there within the hour. She told her not to leave. He will come help. One hour, okay, honey? My wife was confused and asked if she would be there too, but the woman just drove off. We knew then that something was wrong with the situation. We both just stared at each other in confusion. I still have no idea why that happened. We called the towing company and they fixed the car within 40 minutes. We drove back to wait because my wife was persistent in believing the woman was going to come back with her brother-in-law and she wanted to let them know that she didn't need their help. I told her I don't think they're coming back, but we did wait. No one came for nearly two hours before we drove home. I did some research and found out that a lot of traffickers use women because they seem more trustworthy. 
Vegas obviously has a large presence of these things as well. The woman was almost desperate to keep my wife there. It was also weird. Now when I look back, it seems more obvious that there was danger. But there in the moment, the woman was so charming and endearing that it seemed like she was generally trying to help. I still don't know, but I'm pretty sure she ran off because I was there and she didn't anticipate a man to be there. I lived in Alberta and when I first moved there, April 2008, until he moved 2010, we had a neighbor who was the bane of our existence. It all started when I was taking the garbage out to the bin. On my way back, I happened to look up and saw, no word of a lie, nine cameras in this man's backyard. He had one above the back door, one on the railing of the back steps, one on the pole by the back steps, one on a receiver for a satellite, one on the back gate, three on his fence, and one in the upstairs window. Now the amount kind of creeped me out, but what really creeped me out was that five out of the nine cameras were pointed at my backyard. Oh, did I forget to mention? I have three young children. Well, I pointed this out to my husband, and he called the landlord right away, who then called the cops, and they all went there and told him to remove the cameras that were facing my yard. Then the trouble really started. He killed two of my cats, threw a dead skunk in my backyard, yelled at my kids for playing, and threatened to kill one of the cats in front of my kids, then had the audacity to call the cops on my husband for yelling at him. Not long after, the cops came to our house and put a verbal peace bond on us. I was sleeping on the couch due to having a broken arm. I turned off the light and settled in, waiting for the Advil to kick in. When I look out my living room window, and who should I see there? My creeper of a neighbor, I screamed and Morgan came running downstairs. By this time, my neighbor had already ran back to his place. He finally moved out in 2010 when he realized that he couldn't get rid of us. And shortly after, we had a fire in our townhouse and had to move into his old unit. We found out why he had all those cameras. We were moving some stuff downstairs and saw he had built a room. He had a growing operation for marijuana in his basement that no one knew about. I now live on an anchorage, and I'm happy not to be there anymore. When I turned 11, I started babysitting my nieces and nephews because I was finally old enough. I had been babysitting for four years when this happened. I was about 15 at this time, and my sister worked early in the mornings, so she had me stay the night so I could babysit for her. I wasn't allowed to have a phone, so my mom would let me take hers just in case. I babysat two boys. One was about eight at the time. We'll call him D. And the other one was three or four. We'll call him M. My sister lived in a not so great part of town, so I'd always keep the doors locked up tight. Plus, I liked to listen to scary stories and was super into true crime, so I was a pretty paranoid kid. There's a pretty large apartment complex next to my sister's house and they had some really sketchy people there. But they had a nice playground and a basketball court right outside the house, and we went to play there a lot. On this particular day though, I had just woken up and was making French toast for my two nephews. I was listening to music with my earbuds because they were still sleeping, but I knew they would be up soon. You know when you have music in your ears, how sometimes it sounds like someone's calling out for you, or you think you hear something. 
Well, I kept hearing noises and kept pulling my earbuds out to listen, but the noises would stop. I did that about a dozen times before I eventually chalked it up to my imagination. About the time I was finishing up the French toast, my nephews came out of the room, into the kitchen, ready to eat. I sat my younger nephew in his booster seat and started cutting pieces up for him to eat, while my older nephew was sitting at the table with a plate full of French toast. We turned on XM radio and started playing some kids music while eating. I thought I was hearing noises again, but I kinda tuned them out. We finished eating and I put the dishes in the sink and got the kids dressed. They were begging to go to the playground, so I gave in and said, sure. As I'm getting dressed, I heard a loud crack. I jumped out of the room, pretty freaked out, and went to check on the boys. Dee came out of the room with Em in his arms. I looked at Dee and said, did you break something? He shook his head and looked absolutely petrified. I told the boys to stay in the hallway since there was no windows, and I really wasn't sure what was going on. I started to walk around the house to see if something had fallen, but nothing looked out of place. Then I saw a shadow peeking through the front door. The door had an oval glass pane, but it was difficult to see through unless you had your hands cupping your face while pressed against the window. I couldn't see his face, but he was in all black and had black gloves on. I was standing to the side, so he couldn't see me. He looked around for a minute or two until he ran around the house. I quietly ran back into the hallway and shoved my nephews into the bathroom and whispered, Lock the doors behind you. He was panicked and confused, but I didn't have the phone with me. I had to go back to the kitchen to get it. He closed and locked the door and I ran back to grab my mom's phone. I heard the glass cracking again and started to lose my shit. I started crying and shaking and I called my sister. I don't really know why, but I called her and told her someone was trying to break into her house. She was freaked out and told me that I needed to call the cops. I told her that I was scared and didn't want to hang up. I finally did and I called the police. I was still in the kitchen when I saw another man run across the backyard. I was sobbing and shaking and the police weren't being quick enough. After asking for my address and all the unnecessary questions, they told me to stay on the line and that they were sending someone out. It felt like it took forever, but finally a cop car drove around the neighborhood and said we were fine. I told them that there was two men trying to get inside, so they got out of the cars and looked around the house. Then they went to the side, then I heard the giant crack. They saw that one of the windows was shattered, and another one was cracked. They were definitely trying to get in, but I don't know what they were planning on doing. There was a giant bed frame in front of the two broken windows. I think if that wasn't there, I probably would not be telling the story. They never caught the men that were trying to get in, but I hope I'm never in a situation like that again. Hey everyone, this is my first post on the subreddit, and it's not as terrifying as some of the other stories I've heard on here. Still, it was chilling. It happened this morning, and I wanted to write it down before I forgot any of the details. Let me preface the story with a little bit of background information. I am a college student majoring in engineering. I'm currently away from school on a co-op rotation with a major company. My company is headquartered in a larger city and I'm working at a smaller site just north of headquarters. I live in a small township in the suburbs, a gated apartment complex and in a very nice area with very low crime rates. 
I regularly go on jogs with my music on full blast and my dog at my side. We walk around at night. It by all accounts is a very safe place to live and I felt very safe here until today. I woke up and got ready for work like normal. When I got in my car, not only was it basically frozen over, but I noticed I was low on gas. I decided to not risk it and fill it up before work. Once my front and back windows defrosted just enough for me to see, I drove a block down the road to my usual fill-up spot. It has a lot of pumps and usually isn't packed, and it's super close to my apartment. They also usually have lower prices than other gas stations in the area. I pulled into the parking lot and there isn't another car anywhere other than a semi truck parked by the doors and an employee's car around the side. All the pumps were open. I pull up to the furthest right pump and hop out. As I'm swiping my card and doing all that fun stuff, another car pulls up. I didn't get a great look at it honestly, but it wasn't shiny or new. I barely paid any attention until the other car stopped at the pump on the other side of my own. Of all the open pumps, the driver chose the one connected to the one I was currently using. Not exactly perfect pandemic manners. Still, I didn't think much of it, at least not initially. I could hear the other driver swiping their card and then entering their PIN number. I was freezing cold and just trying to hurry. I turned around to put the nozzle into the car and I just stood there for a minute. Foolishly, I decided to keep my back turned. I didn't want to have any contact with this person, so I tried to pretend that no one was there. Once I filled up, I removed the nozzle and turned around, still keeping it myself and not lifting my eyes. I finished the transaction and got my receipt. When it was printing, I looked up casually and almost fell flat on the pavement when I saw a guy peering around the corner of the pump, staring at me. You know how people sometimes describe creepy people as having an inhuman quality? I never really understood that until today. The way this man looked at me sent a shiver down my spine. His eyes were cold and unyielding. He was not blinking or moving, but his gaze was growing even more intense. There was something animalistic in the way that he stared at me. I felt like a deer being watched by a mountain lion. The hairs on the back of my neck stood. My instinct screamed for me to turn and run. This all took place in the span of just a couple seconds but it felt like a lifetime. I quickly opened my car door. When I did, he moved his head, tilting it to the side to peer into my car. I didn't consider it at the time, but he might have been looking to see if I was alone. I initially blocked his view of the inside of my car with my body and closed the door quickly. I locked it immediately. I mentioned earlier that my car was nearly frozen over. By now, the front and back windows were entirely clear. The side windows, however, were almost still icy. There's a single strip of clarity in the driver's side window, a result of me rolling down the window a few minutes prior in an attempt to clear it off. As I hastily buckled my seatbelt, I ventured a glance to my left. The man was still there, still staring, but he had an inch closer. I could see more of his body than before. He was tall with dark hair and a well-built frame. He was certainly much larger than me and seemed a few years older than me. Had it not been for those eyes, I might say that he was attractive, but those eyes, they were haunting. I decided to do the logical thing and get myself out of there as fast as possible. I didn't want a chance of being able to follow me. Though my work had great security, I didn't want him knowing where I worked. 
I don't know if this man was just a creep or something much darker, but I don't want to find out, ever. I was in the hospital waiting for a space in the labor ward so I could be induced to have my baby. I was very uncomfortable and told that walking around might help things move along in the right direction. Me and my partner decided to walk down the main foyer of the maternity hospital and walk around the hospital grounds. It was about 2 in the morning, but it was July, so it was a nice mild evening. As we came out of the stairwell onto the bottom floor, I had a painful contraction and had to sit down on the chairs at the door. Me and my partner were just chatting after the pain subsided when the automatic doors opened and a very large man walked in. He looked at us with a crazy look in his eyes and muttered something, then took off down the corridor, grunting. I was thinking, huh, that's odd, when my boyfriend practically lifted me off the seat and hissed under his breath at me to move now. We both ran towards the lift. Bear in mind, I'm nine months pregnant and in the early stages of labor, so I'm not exactly in shape to move fast anywhere. Once we got into the lift, I was completely bewildered and asked my boyfriend what the fuck was that about? He shakingly asked me if I saw the two massive rocks that the man had in his hands. Um, I didn't. As soon as we got into the ward, we informed the charge nurse and she basically locked the entire maternity unit down until the police came to remove this man. Turns out he had ran up the main hospital up a hill after being admitted due to having mental health crisis. I'm just so glad he didn't hurt us and my partner was switched on enough to notice the rocks. Scary shit. I live in the apartments on the ground floor. I'm a 22 year old woman, but I was 21 at the time. But it was just a couple of months ago, I think. I was coming back from the mailbox and my apartment is pretty much right by it. I see a dude leaning on the wall and didn't think much of it because a teenage boy is one of my neighbors and he always has his friends waiting outside for him. Also, this was during the day. It's nighttime now, like 2am and I'm going outside to smoke a cigarette and I'm watching my TV on my phone. The way I was sitting was my back was facing the air conditioner behind me which anyone can walk through and ride onto my porch. The AC is very loud and anyone can walk up and I wouldn't be able to hear them. I notice something out of the corner of my eye and right as I turn my head, I feel a hand on my mouth and an arm around me. I'm still sitting and I didn't see him directly, but I know it's a boy from before. He tells me to get up and not to make any noise. He tells me again and I ask him to let me get up and give me a second. While he's holding me and I'm getting up, I pretend to fall into the door on accident, knowing that my mom is right by it in the living room, watching TV with my sister. She opens the door and he pushes me down and runs. We called the police, but before that, the security shows up at my door and asks me what happened. I don't know how he knew he came from my apartment, and if he saw that much, why didn't he stop him? He insinuates that it's a boyfriend of mine, and I shut that down quick. Then I call the actual cops and they tell me he was here in a stolen car. I don't know what the fuck this boy was doing or what he was planning with me. So I was joining my team meeting for a homeroom class online because of this virus. 
and we're about to play our classroom game we did every morning when some person named Tokyo joins our meeting. No one knows this person or how they got in. They start playing porn. I want to let you know we're in the class of 7th graders. They started calling my teacher a gay slur and saying that they have all our IPs. As the 7th graders we are, we decided to talk back. Then they started screaming gibberish into the mic. My teacher kicked them out, making the meeting private, but they somehow joined again, screaming and playing more porn. So my teacher ended up contacting our tech support to do some special things for the meeting. You can now only get into the meeting if you have a school email. I think it's one of the best choices. I do feel really bad for my classmates who saw the whole thing. I was gone for half of the thing. I was getting breakfast. Some of the students were more traumatized than others, but some of the kids started helping them. Way worse could have happened, but it didn't, so we got a little luckier, I guess. I didn't know if this was the right community for this post. It was just creepy knowing that adult went and played porn in front of 7th graders. I was on a road trip with my mom and we had to stop to get gas, so we pulled over at the next en route. In Canada, these are huge buildings with all kinds of fast food and they have gift shops and gas stations. When we were done getting gas, we went to use the bathroom. On our way in, a guy is on his way out and makes eye contact with me, but I didn't think anything of it because I had to use the bathroom. Here comes the creepy part. I walk out of the bathroom with my mom and there he is, leaning on the wall, right near the bathrooms. I try to ignore him, while my mom gives him a glare. He followed us as soon as we started walking. We decided not to get coffee, because we didn't want to be anywhere near him. So we ran to our car and started to drive off, because there's always these reports of kidnappings and hit and runs right outside the on routes. In a weird way, if I can't have you, no one can. So if they fail to get you, they drive up and hit you. Some of you may know Peter Moore, a serial killer that was active in North Wales in the 90s. He primarily preyed on gay men and was also known as the Man in Black. He mutilated men for fun and also committed 39 sex attacks on men over a 20 year period. My granddad used to work with him at the cinema in my local area and he was a strange dude from the get go apparently, but nothing would suggest that he was a murderer. He would ask you if you wanted tea, make two, then drink both of them. Obviously before he was convicted and everyone was aware that he was a killer, my granddad and Peter had quite a good relationship and Peter gifted my granddad two pot plants which Peter had crafted himself out of old chimney toppers. Well they're mine now and are quite a conversation piece. Peter is doing time by life imprisonment now. Once, about 10 years ago, my friend and I were walking down the road near our house. We lived in a small town and there were no sidewalks. The road was pretty quiet with not too many cars. Suddenly, a man in a small car pulls up in front of us. He looks like your average white dad in his late 40s, early 50s, and his car was pretty unremarkable. The thing I remember about his car was that it had out-of-state license plates that were yellowish or orangish, like a sunset. 
Anyway, it didn't appear like he was doing drugs or having any mental issues. So he pulls up in front of us, sticks his head out the window and says, I'm going to fuck you up and no one can stop me. And the look in his eyes were so evil. Then as soon as he said it, another car came from the opposite direction and he must have gotten spooked because he drove off. My friend and I waited until he was out of sight and ran home, locking our doors. We were young and stupid and didn't call the police. Every time I see something on the news about a murderer being caught, I look to see if I recognize them, but it's been so long that I don't even know if I would anymore. I always wonder what could have happened and what he even meant by that. One of the strangest things to ever happen to me by far. This literally happened a few minutes ago. A friend and I were grabbing milkshakes and a man approached us in the parking lot. He didn't say hello or any greeting. He just walked up to us and said, I'm gonna kill you. He said, my name is Fats and I'm not a murderer. He repeated a few times that he was not a murderer and was not trying to kill us. He said that he saw a few dead bodies here, but it wasn't him. Told my friend to look at his gray hair and he said he wished he had my friend's hair. He asked how old my friend was and asked my friend to guess his age. He said that he was in his 60s and too old to kill. We were trying to walk away and he said, listen to me, and then told us to watch the news tonight to see them. Luckily, he didn't murder us because he's definitely not a murderer, right? Update, some people wanted to know if there was anything on the news Apparently, murder is common in my city, so there were quite a few stories. It's a big city, and the closest murder was 15 minutes away from where we met the guy, who is not a murderer. There is really no descriptive information for any of the cases, so I have no idea if he was actually not a murderer. This happened a couple hours ago. I'm currently in bed trying to sleep off the bad feeling from this encounter. At around 11, I was watching TV and playing on my phone, just waiting to feel tired. My boyfriend was upstairs asleep in bed. The lights were all off in the house, just a lamp in the living room with me. Someone flicked her letterbox on the front door. It was so loud that I assumed my partner would have heard it and came to see. We live in a pretty unsafe area. I've been followed charged at by mental drug addicts, attempted mugging, catcalled, I found a drunk man hiding in my back garden, I found a man loitering in my front garden, so instantly I was frightened. I went to look through the front door, it has textured glass panels so I'm able to make out two silhouettes. I just stood there and watched and saw that one of them was looking into our front room trying to see what was inside. They must have been there for 30 seconds, then I flicked on the hall light, not wanting them to think that the house was empty, and instantly they went from looking through my front window to the streets. A few seconds later, they started knocking on the door. I ran upstairs and had to wake up my partner because I didn't want to open the door and was scared that they would bash it in. I looked out the bedroom window and there was a man on the streets. He looked up at me and held eye contact without blinking or even looking away for a millisecond. He was speaking slowly. I mouthed what once or twice, hoping that he would shout it, but he didn't. 
Thinking back, I wonder if he was looking at me or he was talking to another person. I rushed downstairs to confront them. My partner came down and started putting on some clothes. By the time I had grabbed my keys and opened the door, they had gone. No sign of them at all on the road. This isn't the first time someone tried to let her flap at night. Last time, I answered with my partner and they had some bullshit reason which seemed to be made up on the spot. So I'm now thinking that they're testing houses to see which ones are empty for robbing. But whatever the reason, the way the man looked at me was really creepy and I really hope he doesn't come back. This story happened more than 10 years ago when I was still a student. It has a few graphic details of animal harm and graphic violence, so discretion is advised. A bit of a backstory, as with most students, I was always broke. I had a few ventures apart from my part-time job to bring me extra money. One of them was house and pet sitting. I have always had a love for animals, so when this couple contacted me and asked me to sit at their house for them for the few days before they returned from their overseas trip, as the last sitter had belled on them and their six-month-old golden retriever puppy would be alone, I jumped at the opportunity. The fact that they promised to pay me the full two weeks fee for starting there less than a week made it just more appealing. Little did I know how bad it would turn out. I got the details, got the keys from the agent, and headed over to the house, as it was already after 5pm and almost dark. As it was early spring, I got to the house, which was a really nice place, but it bordered a not so good area that was and still is prone to criminal activity. House break-ins, robberies, etc. It did not bother me much, cause you know, nothing will happen to me. I know young and naive. The first four nights went without a hitch, watching movies, jacuzzi, and generally enjoying myself. The owners would have returned on the fifth day, fairly late at night. I went over to check out the doggo, and I got a call from them around 10pm, saying that their flight got delayed. They were going to stay in hotel and do the three and a half hour drive back the following morning, and asked if I could sleep there again, that night, which was fine. I was already there and had my overnight bag still in my car. I called my dad to let him know their plans, as I was still staying with my parents, and he specifically asked what the address was. I normally didn't give out the details like that because I was old enough to look after myself. I still believe to this day that that's probably what saved my life. I eventually got to the bed at around 1am, and it felt like I'd only slept for about 5 minutes, when I was awoken to a window breaking, and I could hear movement what sounded like footsteps running down the hallway. The first thing I did was grab my phone and just hit redial. Thanks to my old Motorola phone, redialing was as simple as pressing one button. I asked my dad was the last number that I had called, hoping that he wakes up from the call. I then dropped the phone in between the headboard and the mattress in case my dad picks up, that he can hear what's going on. I had barely done that when the first guy stormed through the bedroom door. I could see his silhouette and he had a knife in his hand. When he saw me, he raised it and came at me. Now, one thing is, those that are familiar with South Africa and the crime, is that robberies and house invasions usually are very brutal and violent. People get murdered and tortured if they're the slightest retaliant, or they don't cooperate with the robbers. Out of instinct, I raised my legs back when he came at me, 
and when he came within the reach, I kicked both of his legs out as hard as I can. Now, I'm not a small guy, I'm six foot three. And at that stage, I weighed around 220 pounds, and I was fit and strong. My time not spent at the uni or work was at the gym. I could do an easy 250 pound bench press, 350 pound squat. When I kicked, I made contact with the guy and he completely lifted off the ground and shot into the wall. Luckily the knife shot out of his hand as well. Before he got the chance to get up, I was on top of him, driving my right knee into his face and in return his head into the wall. I knew that my life depended on it, so I put some extra force. The guy dropped like a sack of potatoes, but before I could get up I heard the sound of a pistol cock and I froze. It felt like all the blood drained from my body and I just became numb. I remember the one thing that went through my head was that if he shot me, then I would rather die than be disabled or dependent on other people that will have to take care of me. He stood like that with a pistol against my head for what felt like hours but it was probably less than 10 seconds. I did not move, and he eventually said in a very broken English to get on the bed, face down. I panicked, but I thought if he wanted to shoot me that he would already done so, so I did as he said. He threw a blanket over me, and I turned into a fetal position, with my back against the wall. So if they did just want to stab me, then I would have my legs and arms in front of me to protect my body. Now by that time I had forgotten that I had called my dad, and the guy that I just need is still down. I heard a third guy come into the room, and I could hear what sounded like Portuguese to me. I couldn't understand what they said, but I recognized it, as we used to go to Mozambique on holiday a lot, and that's the main language spoken there. The one guy tried to get the guy that I had put down off the ground, while the other started to ransack the house shoving valuables into a big bag. It was about at that time that I heard tires screech and a car approaching at what sounded like Mach 1. The car skidded to a halt right in front of the gate and I heard someone scream. It was my dad. The three inside the house panicked and they ran out the back door and tried to jump the fence. My dad opened fire, shooting in their general direction. Now I know my dad missed them on purpose because if he wanted to hit them he would as he is not one of, but the best shot that I know. And I'm not just saying that because he's my dad. He's an ex-army special forces, or recess for those in the know. Represented SA in the Clay Pigeon World Championship a couple years, has various regional pistol and rifle championship titles, and is a gunsmith by occupation. I have seen him hit a golf ball at 50 meters with a pistol, Politics and the racial situations in the country would have had him in big trouble had he hit one of them. I grabbed the house keys and pressed the gate remote, and my dad called the police while he came in. I met him at the front door and we walked out to the car to wait there for the police. It took them over an hour to get there, some excuse of no vehicle available. By the time I had calmed down and I started to look for the dog, I could not find her anywhere. I grabbed the flashlight from my dad and started scanning the surrounding yard, and as I got to the corner, I could see her laying on the ground. I got to her and I saw that she was dead. Later autopsies revealed that she was poisoned, and the police found pieces of meat laced with poison near the fence. 
Poisoning is a pretty standard practice in my country for dealing with dogs in the house, or the area that's targeted for a break-in robbery. I was fuming, and so sad. The police were also pretty useless, and had a don't-give-a-shit attitude, and barely took our statements. By that time, it was starting to get light outside, and I retrieved my bag, phone, and locked the house as good as I could, without touching anything. I drove home behind my dad, and only when I got home, I got the story from my dad's side. He said he answered my call, only to hear the shouting, and what sounded like fighting going on. When I didn't respond, he flew out of the house and raced over. Luckily, he asked for the dress the previous night, and he knows the area well to know exactly which house it is. Now my dad got there pretty quickly, and he said that he stayed in the line the whole time, only hanging up when he stopped at the gate. My parents' house is about six miles from there, through the residential area. It's normally about a 20 minute drive, and the call duration was 7 minutes and 13 seconds. I met the detective there later that day and gave my statement. They took fingerprints, etc., and the owners got back at the same time. The rest of the day was kind of a blur, as it came down from the shock and adrenaline. Now that's not where the story ends. About seven or eight months later, I got a call from the detective, telling me that they caught the guys. I must come in to line them up and point them out. I specifically told her that I didn't see any of their faces, as it was dark, and after the guy held the gun against my head, I was under the blankets and didn't see anything. She assured me that they caught them on the fingerprints, and will show them to me beforehand, which might not be the ethically correct way to do it but they wanted to have as much evidence as possible against them. You will understand why in a minute. I got to the police station, and unlike you see in the movies, there's no one-way glasses separate the room. They bring the three guys into the room and make them stand against the wall. The one, which I was later told was the leader, which was the one that I had need, looked at me with so much hate, as I've never seen in my life. He had the eyes of someone that would slit your throat and not blink an eye. His name was Joseph Dragon Shambu. He put his hand up to his neck and made the slit my throat gesture. You know which one I mean. We left the room and the detective gave me a copy of his rap sheet. Amongst others, four counts of murder, I think eight or nine for attempted murder. Multiple assault, aggravated assault, over 100 house break-ins and robbery, including rape. I was shocked. The detective told me if I had not taken him out first and fast that night, I would have definitely not gotten away so lightly. Now this is not where the story ends. Three days later, I get another call from the detective, saying that I should be careful, and he had escaped from custody, and they had not caught him yet. I wasn't worried too much as the robbery wasn't at my house, and I had changed cars, so he probably couldn't find me. Also, I got my firearm license and carried my pistol on me 24-7. I didn't hear anything after that, until about two years later, when I saw the detective in the grocery shop. We started talking about the case, and she told me that he was killed during a home invasion. He broke into the wrong house, and the owner was waiting for him, pistol in hand. Shot him once in the stomach and once in the neck, and thanks to the slow response time of the emergency services and police, he bled out on the guy's living room floor, ridding society of a piece of human garbage. I want to add a bit of info into this. 
all three that were caught were Mozambican nationalists, undocumented and no fingerprints or IDs in the system, essentially illegal immigrants. And it is of an opinion in South Africa that more than 7% of the violent crime is done by illegal immigrants, mainly Mozambican, Zimbabwean, or Nigerian descent. It makes it fairly easy, because none of these countries have extradition to South Africa. So if it gets too hot, they just flee back over the border, and nothing can be done to them. This whole ordeal has made me more vigilant, heightened my situational awareness, and made me a little paranoid. To double and triple check all doors, locks, etc. Also thanks to my heightened situational awareness, it has allowed me to remove myself from a few potential dangerous situations in the years after the incident. But it also robbed me of a peace of mind. I have since immigrated to a safer country, but I still sometimes wake up at night if I hear a noise. So to keep up with tradition, Joseph, we will never meet again as you have passed, but to his cronies and anyone that wants to try something similar, please do not pay me a visit. I will arrange your swiftly departure and reunion with Joseph in hell. And to Joseph, I hope you died in agony for poisoning Daisy. Warning. Potentially offensive language and content ahead, but I will censor it if necessary. I just felt it explains the situation at hand and the setting. Not saying that using slurs or offensive language is right in any way. It also came out longer than I expected, because I've only ever told this story to my girlfriend before now. This happened nearly a decade ago now. At the time of the story, I was a 15-year-old male, 5'5 and 132 pounds. I was a wrestler, so I always knew my exact weight and kept myself extremely lean, but still had a fairly muscular build. I lived in a fairly small town of 50 to 60,000 people, and in my off-season I did whatever I could to be somewhat active and outside. I had a friend, let's call him Blaze, who was really into disc golf, and always asked me to come play with him and smoke a doobie while we were in the more secluded parts of the course. He was a couple years older than me, but no bigger than I was. Just a not-so-great influence for me at the time. This small town only had about two disc golf courses, one at a very public park near a middle school, or one at the edge of town in an older park that was much bigger. Obviously, we weren't smoking for everyone to see, so the edge of town sealed off park it is. Little did I know that on Thursday afternoons, this park happened to be my town's spot for gay men to meet and hook up in the parking lot. I live in the Midwest US, so these were not your stylish, young, pretty guys. It was mostly guys aged 30 to 50 who were pretty big and aggressive yee-yee looking. So we finished the course and the joint, walking out of the woods anything but sober. We typically either just chilled in the grass or played catch after we finished up, until my buddy was more normal and ready to drive back. We noticed that there were many more cars in the parking lot than there were when we got there, and a lot of older guys sitting on trunks of their cars or on tailgates, loosely grouped together. This very large hairy man in a tank top, 
and his tall, thin friend dressed like a biker gang member started to do the wolf whistle towards me and my friend. I got pretty uncomfortable, not because gay men whistled at me, but because we had to walk in their direction and I could feel the eyes of way more guys on me than I wanted. For a testosterone-filled weight room junkie teenager, I did not feel very safe here knowing there were at least 30 guys in this group, and I could see in my peripheral that a fairly large portion were eyeing us closely as we walked toward the parking lot. I'll make it clear that I am not a fighter, and I would never intend to hurt anyone aside from self-defense. But I was definitely confident in myself to hold someone off. Us two were just so outnumbered and not in a sober state of mind, so anxiety made things much worse. A couple of them said some gross catcall-like things, more whistles and that woo noise that rednecks make when they are excited about something or instigating. Similar to woo, but if Eric Cartman screeched it. I think they had the idea that we were some people they met online and were going to meet up. Being high, I didn't care what was going on. I just wanted to be safe and not the center of attention. When we got closer, the big hairy man who did the first wolf whistle said something like, You think you could handle this? and I just mumbled no thanks and tried to keep walking. He yelled back, What was that, boy? To which I just said more clearly, No thanks, I'm not into that. He seemed offended and angrily said, Not into what? All I said was, I'm sorry, I'm not gay. And he seemed to be offended by the word gay, again asking me to repeat myself in a very aggressive tone. So I corrected myself and said I'm not homosexual. Things escalated from here real quick. The man stepped forward from leaning against a truck and grabbed my wrist. He said, We can fix that real quick. Don't get excited. I didn't do some cool fight move to attack him. Just a simple wrist roll and using that momentum, a quick push of the elbow to turn him around so that he would have his back to me and I could get by without anything more. He said, touch me like that again, and we will get the both of you. Another guy made his way over to Blaze, who was much less the calm and chill type of stoner that I was. I can only describe what he did as one of those kicks or sidesteps off a wall, but to that guy's chest slash abdomen. He started to run and yelled, fuck off. Very quickly, bunches of guys began to stand up from their seats on the outside of their cars and motion to our direction. I started booking it for the car too, and Mr. Skinny Biker Man was running right after us. Thank God it was just him running and not multiple chasing us, or this story might be different. I was faster than Blaze so I got ahead of him, and picture us running across a parking lot to his truck that was facing us, backed into a stall. I got around to the passenger side quickly, with Blaze still about 100 feet from the truck. He tried to cut to the right and make it to the driver's side of his little S10, but Skinny cut him off and sent him to the left passenger side. I ran around the back of the truck as fast as I could to the driver door, and Blaze slid his keys across the roof to me. I hopped in well aware that I did not want to be driving right now in this state of mind, much less in such a crazy situation, and even more or less someone else's vehicle. 
Still, without thinking, I started it and skirted out of the parking lot while Skinny banged on the bed of the truck, chasing it. That's not the end. A truck and a car are on their way right behind me. Skinny jumped into the car that was in the back and the chase began. Terrified and still high, I cut through the grass of the park to get to the main road more quickly, thinking I would lose them that way. These guys raced right over the speed bumps and around the bends in the park road, right up to the main road. And they were driving so fast I would have gotten T-boned if I didn't smash the pedal to the floor at the right time. I was so stressed I started silently crying while driving, thinking of how horrible the possibilities could be. Contact wearers know that when your eyes are dry from the smoke, then they rapidly get moist. Contacts tend to drift a bit until they find their place again. This is definitely not ideal for someone with awful vision, driving twice the speed limit down a road in the middle of town. So I started turning down residential streets and weaving in and out, being tapped on the shoulder by Blaze to keep my speed up because the two were still right behind on my rear bumper. I even made some risky U-turns and they followed right along. This chase lasted over 10 minutes of me frantically driving through main streets, residential, back alleys, and everything I could to try and get away. I was so scared that the best case scenario ended and us getting pulled over and myself obtaining a permanent record for DUI by the ripe age of 15. Luckily, a stroke of luck and a surprisingly quick reflex came to my aid. Blaze yelled cop and pointed to a parking lot to our left, where there was a police cruiser probably just waiting to catch someone speeding or running red lights on the semi-busy road we ended up on. I whipped into the parking lot and sparked a couple stalls down from the cop. The truck prepared to turn but stopped in the middle of the road, so quickly once he realized what was going on, that the car following him had to swerve and pop to curb, catching the officer's attention. He backed out and the two vehicles split different ways, and were out of sight before he got out of the parking lot. Never went back to that park any other time than the mornings after that. So thankful that nothing bad came of the incident and we made it out completely unscathed. No idea what they would have done, but people engaging teenagers in a car chase could not have had good intentions in mind. It was my first time in my life being sexually harassed, too. You would think being in a car chase might be fun or exciting, but I just felt so powerless and like I had no control. Like nothing I could do would get both of these guys away from us and simultaneously not get me arrested. I just discovered this sub today on my main account, but was nervous to post it from it, due to the nature of it. Still wouldn't go anywhere near that place after noon again. I should also mention that you cannot have a driver's license in my state at the age of 15, so that was another one of my fears of being pulled over. I had a farmer's permit that allowed me to drive to work or school, or under the supervision of someone 18 or older. When I was a freshman in high school, I was dealing with a lot of things, and it ultimately caused poor life decisions. So I started high school when I was young, barely 13 years old. I'm a female, now a junior. I didn't think anything about the guys since I wasn't focused on people. I didn't really care about anyone else, except two friends I had in the class. 
that I had with him. He was 17 at the time, and yes, in those classes, the grade levels were mixed. Nothing ever struck me as odd about him, since I really paid attention to him. Until one day in biology, I looked up from my paper and I saw him taking pictures of me. I was creeped out, but didn't say anything in case I was wrong. Then days later he found my Instagram and kept texting me, which I obviously never responded to. And if I had to, it would have been very dry and just leave him on scene. Then one day in the middle of class, I got a text from a random number saying, Hey, with my name. Various emojis like heart ones. And I immediately knew it was him, since early he was asking for my number, which I declined to give to him. I immediately went to my two friends in the class to yell at them for giving him my number, to which they replied they never gave it to him. They even showed me their phones and let me go through them. Their messages with him and no number of mine. So, it was never mentioned, despite his numerous texts asking them for it. I never answered him and desperately tried to avoid him, until one day on Instagram I got a text message from him saying, You're so pretty. To which I replied that I wasn't pretty. And then he spammed me with pictures that he'd taken of me. That wasn't even the creepiest part. There were like 50 plus pictures of me ranging from classes around the school campus and even outside of school, like near the bus stop or waiting for a friend at the quad to go somewhere. There was even some of me playing soccer with my friends in the football field. It used to be a soccer field too, since the soccer field gets flooded easily and constantly is getting fixed to look pretty. Obviously I left him unseen, I blocked him and avoided him even more. To the point I started skipping class, and when I did go, I told the teacher what happened. While I was shaking, and she let me go to the dean of the school, where I showed them everything, and I even gave them the number I got the message from. It's been two years now. I'm a junior. I stayed in school since they have connections to a hospital I want to volunteer in, because I have great friends there. He made a new account on everything, Instagram, Snapchat and probably got a new number, and he's been trying to follow me and message me for weeks now. I keep blocking him, but new accounts are created. I'm honestly glad for quarantine since I'll probably never be nervous to go to class, or even school. It's also worth mentioning that it's still not known how we got my number, as the only two people who had it never gave it to him. And I'm 100% sure that he was following me around school, even after I told the dean if anyone is going through or has gone through something similar, please tell a close friend or family member, because it can get worse. I went to college in a historic mid-sized city in Florida, and at the time lived in a duplex downtown, maybe three blocks from campus. The city is known to be pretty safe and I lived in a pretty decent area with large historic homes near me. This story takes a place about three years ago. A little backstory that will become relevant. The duplex I lived in had a front door that locked, and then both the upstairs and downstairs units had their own locking door. I lived downstairs and had two roommates but this specific night only one of my roommates was home. 
We knew the girls that lived upstairs, but only really spoke to them in passing. When they moved in, we emphasized how important it was for us, for them, to keep the main front door locked. And they did a good job of doing so. So me and my roommate are in for the night, knowing the front door is locked, and smoke a few joints. At some point, we hear a knock at the front door, and quickly realize the girls upstairs had ordered a pizza. Later on, it becomes evident that they never locked the front door after receiving their pizza. So we finally go to sleep in our own rooms, and since I had a queen bed, I would often sleep with my phone and laptop next to me in my bed. A couple hours after I fall asleep, I woke to a man standing over my bed. As soon as I realize I'm not dreaming, I notice that he is quickly moving my phone and computer off of my bed and moving my comforter, trying to get into my bed. I start to ask him who he is, what he's doing here, and just generally confused. As I was still slightly high from before I went to sleep, the only thing he said to me multiple times was that he was just trying to get in bed. At this point I begin to panic, as my mind obviously goes to the worst. I was hoping that maybe my roommate had invited some random Tinder guy over and that he had gone to the wrong room. But the more I questioned him, all he had to say was, I'm just trying to get in bed. I own pepper spray and a stun gun, but I had accidentally left them on a shelf that the guy was standing in front of, so there was no way I'd be able to grab them without escalating the situation. Realizing I needed to do something quickly, I blurted, There are five people who live in this house, and if you don't get the fuck out now, I will scream and they will all be here within seconds. Luckily, that's all it took to scare him off. I don't know if that had brought something with him or if he had stolen something from me, but I saw him grab something in the dark and run out of my room. As soon as he left my room, I shut the door and locked it, and tried to find my phone. I couldn't find it anywhere, but then quickly realized that between my room and the front door is the room of my friend that was home. As scared as I was, I was terrified that the guy had maybe gone into her room. So I grabbed my stun gun and a pocket knife, counted to three and ripped open my door. I ran into my roommate's room, but she was fast asleep, and there was no evidence of the guy. I told her what happened, and she asked me if I was sure I wasn't dreaming. I began to question myself until I walked out of her room and saw that our front door was wide open. I went to my room to search for my phone and finally found it, hidden under a pile of clothes across the room from where I had left it. That sent a chill up my spine, as I immediately knew for a fact someone had been in my house and room while I was sleeping, and long enough to hide my phone, which only worsened my suspicions of his intentions. I ran back to my roommate's room, who at that point believed me, barricaded ourselves into the room, and called 911. Within minutes, there were police cars swarming our street and yard, and they yelled for us to quickly leave the residence and run towards them. At least a dozen police officers came running in and searched every inch of our apartment, and woke the girls upstairs, and searched their apartment to ensure the man had left. 
The officers then had me write a statement and I gave them a description of the man. And to this day, I've never heard a single thing about the case. I feel incredibly lucky with the outcome of the situation, but the thought of his intentions terrifies me. And additionally, the fact that he was never caught scares me, as I would hate for anyone to have to go through the pure fear that I did. I will add, there is a chance that he was on drugs or mentally ill and had no bad intentions. However, because he was never caught, I will never know, and my mind will always assume the worst. To the man who now keeps me up at night, let's not meet. So, I'm a 21-year-old male, and this experience happened last summer, while I was on vacation in Myrtle Beach with my family. We were staying in a resort right off the beach, and we're on the 13th or 14th floor, in a sort of timeshare. One night I was feeling restless and having a hard time falling asleep. At around 3am I decided to go out on the balcony to get some air. I stepped out and was stunned as there was a full moon, and the moonlight on the water was really beautiful. The beach was completely empty, as far as I could see, and I'd never seen it like that before. I decided since I wasn't able to sleep, I might as well head down, take a stroll, and listen to some music to relax. Hopefully when I returned I'd be able to get some sleep. It was really unsafe and dumb of me, but since it was 3am, and the rest of my family was asleep, I decided I would just head down without letting anyone know I was going, as I thought I'd just go and chill there for about 10-15 minutes, and then come right back up. So at the base of the timeshare, where there was an area with a pool, an outdoor bar, and then two broad walks separated by about 100 feet, which both led to the beach. On the sides of the boardwalks, there was a swarth of tall grass, separating the ocean and the resort. When I got down to the base, the entire area was completely deserted, and I started walking down the boardwalk, on the right towards the beach. As I'm walking down, I suddenly see someone approaching me from the beach, which was strange because I had a pretty clear view of the same area from the balcony, just before I had literally seen no one. I started to get a bit nervous as I see the figure approach, and as I get closer, I see it's a man, maybe in his late 30s who has a backpack on and is wearing glasses with large square lenses. As he gets closer, I get a clearer look at him, as the boardwalk is a sort of illuminated by lights from the outdoor bar. He looks to be very on edge and alert, almost like he's trying to find someone who is trying to meet him in this area, and his clothes are somewhat tattered. We made eye contact and I sort of nodded at him and I passed. At this point, I'm creeped out, because honest to God, he had a sort of Jeffrey Dahmer look. Maybe it was the glasses, and he just didn't seem like he actually belonged to a timeshare. I shake it off and I keep walking down the beach. I put my headphones in. As I get down to the beach, I turn right and start walking parallel to the water, and I'm just taking in the scenery. I'm barefoot and I decide it'd be nice to walk, just along the shoreline. So I move closer to the water and I continue walking. I'm walking for no longer than a minute before I get a really, really strange feeling 
that something is wrong. I take my headphones off and I turn around. I see a dark figure that is trailing me, just up shore. He is situated in between me and the timeshare. I immediately can tell from the form and the height of the body and the demeanor that it's the same man I passed on the boardwalk. At this point, I'm starting to panic, as every story from Let's Not Meet is rushed in my head. At the same time, I'm trying to rationalize it, as it feels too surreal that I may actually be in a dangerous situation. So I remind myself it could just be a coincidence. The man decided he also wanted to take a walk on the beach. It just happened to be heading the same direction as me. So I take some breaths and I turn my head back to the ocean and continue walking in the same direction. After a couple of seconds, I turn my head back again and see now that he's much closer to me and is not walking parallel to me, but is definitely actually walking towards me. I pick up my walking speed now and turn my head back around. I see he's matching my faster pace and is still walking towards me in the water. Still, for some reason, I think, okay, maybe he also wants to walk by the water. There's no way I'm actually being followed by a creepy man on a deserted beach. So, at this point, I truly tested. I do a 180 and completely change directions. As I turn my head, I see him completely change directions with me, and continues closing in distance. And he is power walking now. It suddenly hits me that I'm in a really bad situation, and I take off in a run along the water. And he's starting to run as well, but stays up shore of me, so that if I try to run up towards the boardwalk, he will intercept me. I'm freaking out now, and I just keep running with no plan, but figure that since I'm 20, and sort of fit, I should probably be able to keep running along the water and outrun him and then find some other exit off the beach and either call my family or head back to the timeshare up on the road. So I keep running and he's keeping up with me. This goes on for what feels like 10 or 15 minutes. The scariest part of all of this, which I wouldn't have thought of it, it is completely dead silent. All I hear is my breath and the feet on the sand. And when I turn, I only see a shadowy figure up shore, keeping pace with me. Suddenly up ahead in the sand, I see a small blue light and what looks like four people on the beach with a blanket. They're a bit up shore. I turn and I look at the figure and bet even though they are up shore, I can beat him to these people. So I start sprinting towards them with hopes of quickly telling them what's going on so we can all confront him. I really use up my energy sprinting towards them and as I approach my heart drops, what I see is four guys on a blanket with three or four handles of hard liquor surrounding them. Three of the handles are empty, and the fourth is about half empty. Three of the guys are completely passed out on the blanket, and the last is half set up, obviously beyond shit-faced, with a sort of party hat on it that has blue lights on it, and he's talking to himself. His eyes are half closed, and he doesn't even register me approaching him, even though I'm no more than five feet away. I turn and see the figure has slowed down and is observing me, and then he makes sense of the group state and suddenly starts sprinting at me. As he gets closer, the half-passed-out guy's blue lights illuminate him, and I can see clearly, it's the same guy as before. 
I make eye contact with him and I can start to see his eyes widen and he looks almost manic and is barreling at me full sprint. At this point I decide I have to do something decisive. It seemed like I had underestimated his fitness and since I had just sprinted towards the group and exhausted myself, I was afraid that he might actually be able to catch up with me if I just continued running along the beach indefinitely and then who knows what. So instead of turning around and running, I suddenly sprint towards him, and to the right, which I don't think he was expecting at all. I catch him off balance and run past him, and I literally am in full running sprint towards the timeshare, without even looking back. Literally all the hairs on the neck were standing, and it felt like a dream. Where you barely are evading someone, as he's right about to catch you. The adrenaline was crazy, and I kept running, and I start to see the timeshare. I finally turn around to see how close he is, and I see him in a distance maybe 400 or 500 feet away. He's lost a lot of distance on me. I don't waste any time and I sprint up the boardwalk and towards the base of the timeshare. I jam the elevator <laughs> I jam the elevator buttons and leap in and start mashing the door buttons as I'm gasping for air. The door closes and I hit the bottom of the floor. And when the elevator reaches, I literally sprint back to my room, open the door, enter and slam the door and double lock it. I'm breathing heavy and I drop to the floor. And I just sit there for a moment, not believing what had just happened. I crouch and crawl over to the room, as I was literally afraid he might be able to see me through the window or the balcony. And I enter my room. Let's just say I definitely wasn't able to sleep after that. Guy who chased me on the beach, let's not meet again. To start this off, I'd like to give a bit of context. This happened four years ago. I'm a girl and at the time this happened, I was 12 going on 13 in just a month or two. The friend I mentioned in the story was 14 at the time. The friend, Sally, who I was staying with that night, 14, female, was quite a bit older than me. At least at the time, the two-year age gap was quite big. At 12 to 13 years old, I was about to start my second year of middle school, where Sally should have been about to begin her sophomore year of high school. I met her in the beginning of my first year at a new school. She was older than the other kids in our grade and was considered one of the popular kids, and I think that was what drew me to her at first. We became fast friends and before we knew it, we're spending every single weekend together. Seriously, every single weekend. Nothing seemed to be out of the ordinary. It was your typical Friday night. We carpooled to her family's apartment after school. I've always been a picky eater. So when her family had dinner, I didn't eat with them. I just snacked on the Pop-Tart that I'd stowed away in my backpack, in case they ordered something that I wouldn't eat. Something to note is that her family was pretty religious. I wouldn't go as far as to say they were fanatics, but they didn't allow their kids to watch horror movies or anything that was rated PG-13 or older. It didn't stem from the desire to protect them from something inappropriate. Sally's mother had an irrational fear that scary movies had satanic messages. We asked to watch The Purge and her mom obviously said no. 
After some negotiating, she agreed to let us watch the Hunger Games instead. After the movie, Sally and I went to hang out in her room. She put on some music and being the age we were, we gave each other makeovers. By the end of it, we were looking much older than just 12 and 14. This part of the night is when things started to seem off to me. Sally wasn't the most positive influence. Despite being my best friend at the time, she was manipulative and got off on putting me down. She had a habit of talking to men online and lying about her age. Sally showed me some texts between her and the man she was talking to. I can't give you an exact recount of them, but they consisted of him trying to convince her to meet up with him, and just the usual things you'd expect from a creep online. According to him, he was 19, tall, and blonde with soulful blue eyes. Once I saw the texts, I asked if she had a picture of him. Something didn't sit right with me after seeing the messages. She showed me what he looked like, and he was clearly not 19. This man was at least 40, and looked like he lived in his mother's basement. Then we got a call from him. Sally answered without hesitation, and when I heard the voice on the other end of the call, I felt like I was going to be sick. You're so pretty. Why don't you come meet me, he asked. Sally said that she couldn't because she was spending the night with a friend. The mention of that sparked his interest, and then he proceeded to try and ask us both to meet him. Sally, lacking any common sense, said yes. Thus began her plan for us to sneak out and walk 15 blocks to meet him in a deserted McDonald's parking lot. I didn't want to go. I was raised on stories of what happens to teen girls who meet random men from the internet in person. But after adamant pleading from Sally that she didn't feel safe going by herself, I agreed. We took our phones with us for the walk. I had a kitchen knife stuffed in my bra in case something were to happen and I needed to defend myself. The route we had to take to get there didn't have very many street lamps and there weren't many houses. We were surrounded by trees on both sides of us. When we got to the parking lot, the only car parked nearby was a black beat-up 2000 Toyota Corolla. The car was still running when we got there, and from what we could tell, there was more than one person inside. The man from the picture got out of the front passenger seat and left the door open behind him before approaching us. I turned my flash on so I could see, and he was obviously on something. I can't tell you what kind of drug it was for the life of me, but his eyes were so wide, they looked like they were about to pop out of his head. He was jittery and kept twitching. I became very conscious of how big he was, maybe six foot two around 280 pounds. For reference, my friend and I did not look our ages even without makeup. I'm about 5 foot 2. My friend was pretty tall, probably around 5 foot 6, 5 foot 7. We were both significantly smaller than him. The man reached out for us and caught my friend by the arm. I went to get my knife as quickly as I could, and that's when I saw his friends getting out of the car. He invited us back to his car and offered us booze and drugs, 
But after seeing my knife and that I was ready to call the police, he released my friend. I took Sally's arm and ran faster than I ever had in my entire life. We took the long way home to avoid them finding out where we lived, in case they were following us. Once we got there, her family was still sound asleep. We locked all the doors, closed the blinds, and blocked him on everything. There wouldn't be any sleeping that night. We were constantly peeking out the window. And to our dismay, that same Toyota was circling around her apartment building. Not once, not twice, but three times. I never mentioned any of this to my parents, out of fear of getting grounded or in trouble. I'm 16 now and they still have no clue. I still get nervous when I see a car similar to the one from that night. As for Sally, her parents never found out either. We agreed to never speak about it again. Thankfully, she moved into a new house just a few weeks after that happened. Safe to say Sally and I haven't spoken in three years. She was pissed at me for ruining her night, and our friendship didn't last for too long after that. We had a pretty bad falling out, but looking back on it now, it was definitely for the better. So to Sally, thank you for teaching me a very valuable lesson and making me realize that some people are best just left alone. And to the man and his friends who tried to prey upon two young girls, let's not ever fucking meet again. A few years back, my then-boyfriend and I, 22 female, were living in a one-bedroom apartment in downtown Denver, about a mile away from the coveted Larimer Square and tourist favorite, 16th Street. The location was fantastic, but with people-dense areas often comes trouble. We live in a historic house with four townhouses next to one another. The layout is important to the story. All four front doors were aligned on a single porch. My apartment was located next to an alley, and was the last door on the left. Due to a work obligation, my boyfriend was sent on a three-month-long work assignment, leaving me alone in the house with our two dogs. No sweat off my back. After growing up in a small town in the northeast, I was eager to explore. My days after work were filled with long walks around the dog parks, and exploring restaurants and craft breweries in downtown. All was well until it wasn't. Being alone most of the time and raised in a town of 4,000. Of my cousins, exaggeration, but not really. I was docile and trusting. The worst combination. About a month into being alone in the city, I would come home to three men smoking outside my door. The first encounter I decided to keep walking and called a nearby friend to help me get into my house safely. I thought this was a one-time thing. But weeks later, the men continually showed up. It was routine. When I got home at 5pm, they were there lighting up a cigarette. Almost like they were waiting for me. I was finally at my wit's end and asked them if they lived here, and whether they could verify that with my landlord. None of them answered and two proceeded to walk down the alley. But one remained stone cold and standing as ground. Continuing to smoke, I was upset, and I repeated the question. 
Do you live here? Can you verify this? He stared at me with his dark, cold eyes and put his cigarette out on my door, only to brush my shoulder as he left my property. Safe to say, I was unnerved. I reached out to my boyfriend to let him know what happened, and he relayed the message to our landlady. A few days had gone by since my past encounter, and there was no sign of those men. I felt pretty good about myself. I had taken for granted being able to walk up my apartment steps without being fearful. I had made it to Friday and decided to treat myself to a few drinks with local friends. I had become diligent about locking windows and doors. Being next to an alley made me feel extra vulnerable. And after my confrontation with these porch creeps, I was on edge. My night out was enjoyable after a few beers. I decided it was time to go home. Thankfully, a friend of mine, instead of making sure, I got into my house safely. After all, he was the one who had assisted me on a few occasions before. I arrived home and he walked me to the door. But upon arrival, my door was covered in ash, and the porch floor in cigarette butts, but the aroma of freshly smoked cigarettes was still in the air. He could see the fear in my face and offered to sleep on the couch to keep watch, but I told him I would be fine on my own. I stayed up a bit longer, double checking locks and pulling my blinds down. After about 20 minutes, I retreated to my bedroom, which faced my front door, but sure to keep my door ajar so my... Rhodesian Ridgeback could be aware of anything happening outside my door. After a bit of Netflix, I finally dozed off until 3am, when I woke to my dog growling. I was petrified. Something in me knew tonight was the night he slash they would be back. I got out of my bed slowly, trying to make as little sound as possible. I peered out of my door and saw a single hand on the stained glass window, and a pair of eyes peering in. Sure enough, he was back. I had unfortunately left my kitchen lamp on, exposing my house to the outside world, and knew if he had seen me, it was game on, which ensured terror. The man, appearing to be shirtless and yelling slurs at me, began pounding on my door, demanding entrance. I retreated to my room and called 911, who told me to stay low, avoid interaction, and to stay in the line until the officers arrived. I couldn't stand to watch him punching the window, because I knew it was a race between him and the officers for whoever got to me first. Finally, there was a loud crash. I peered through the door crack to see that he had upgraded from a hand to a brick, causing the glass to begin cracking. I remember vividly, it had been almost 10 minutes on the phone with dispatch at this point, with officers 10 minutes away from my home. After a few more brick throws, I watched him scale the porch to my window trying to obliterate the class, leaving the cracks in his wake. And then there was silence. I once again looked towards my front door to see him looking back at me, cigarette in hand, until the cops arrived. I was told to wait for a knock on my door, which finally came, to tell me it was safe to come out. I made it outside just as they were putting in the back of the vehicle, when he yelled, Bye, Pete. This shook me to my core, only my family referred to me as that, and they were thousands of miles away. I realized he had been watching, listening, waiting. He probably knew my boyfriend was gone, and most likely heard me refuse to have my friend stay here. I watched the vehicle drive away and called whoever I could to get a hold of at this hour. 
Come morning, my mom finally came back to me and told me to get in touch with the officers and press charges. Something that entirely slipped my mind during the mayhem. I called them back and asked them to get the paperwork, only to be told that he was put into a hospital and ran off before properly identifying him. Needless to say, I moved shortly thereafter, and my boyfriend found another job locally. To the cops who were absolutely no help, good riddance. And to the man who was after me for God knows what, let's not meet again. This story takes place about two years ago. I was about 16 and 5 foot 6, who either looked like a 12 year old boy or a 16 year old tomboy depending on the person. At the time as well, I suffered from really bad anxiety, and you could definitely see it in my body language. I was definitely visually an easy target for predators. So I was a 16 year old kid just picking up hardbacks from my last year in school. After I was done shopping, I decided to get a tram back to my dad's workplace, and then he would take me home. It was a Sunday morning, pretty chill, and it definitely had an uneasy feel. I hated going into town alone, but no one else was available to join me, so I sucked it up and did the deed. The trams were new at the time, and I'd only taken them two or three times, so I was definitely hypervigilant on them, especially since I suffered with anxiety. Hypervigilant, so I didn't miss my stop, or hypervigilant that nothing weird happens, as the trams were notorious for weird people. I walk to my tram stop, and I wait. I see the next tram is soon, but there's a guy making me unbelievably uneasy. I hate assuming the worst in people, but this man was making me so uncomfortable. Nothing in particular was off about him. He looked a bit scruffy, but not a predator. So I decided to walk away from the stop for a bit and wait for my tram to come to pass. Then return and get the other one. They come often enough and this dude was giving me the creeps. I walked away for a bit, take a nice relaxing stroll to calm myself down and return to the stop. He's still there. When I left, he definitely watched me leave and waited for me to return. Now at the time, I was doubting myself. I was telling myself I'm being irrational. Something like a creepy dude following me could happen to me, surely. Wrong. We get on the tram, and my tram takes about five stops to my dad's workplace. I walked down the tram a bit. The man was still in my eye line, and I wasn't his. Now my dad's workplace is about a five minute stroll from my tram stop, but I'd still walk down a quiet area. An area that someone could easily assault you, or take you, and not many would take notice especially on a Sunday morning. At each stop, I'm praying this guy gets off on the tram, but he does not. My anxiety has hit the roof, and although the tram walk is only about five minutes, I call my dad to pick me up right outside the station. My dad surprisingly obliges. I think he could tell something was off with me, so all I have to do is walk out of the tram station and make it to the car. I still had hope in my heart that this guy would get off at my station, and go to the next instead. It comes to my stop, and I get off. And of course, Mr. Creepy gets off too. No one else gets off but the two of us. The guy looked at me, and I looked at him. We make eye contact. I could tell he was planning on walking my direction and followed me out. 
I could see him panic a little, and then he walks in the opposite direction of me. Now the chilling part about this is, the station only has one exit. This man turns around and walks onto the tracks of the tram, and just wanders off. I didn't stay too long to see if he would come back, and I sped walked to my dad's car. When I got into my dad's car, I double checked with him, that there was only one exit to the station, as the tram is only new, and I wasn't familiar with it. He says yes, there's only one station, and I'm covered in goosebumps. This man waited for me to get onto the tram even though he could have taken an earlier one. Followed me to the station and decided to last minute abort his mission. I've tried to rationally explain this to myself. Maybe he wasn't following me, and he was just a weird dude. But why did his presence make me so uneasy that I decided to walk away and wait for the next tram? Why did he wait for the next tram? When he could have taken an earlier one. What are the chances of this man getting off at the same stop as me? Why do you not use the exit and walk onto the tracks instead? It's not like I gave him a death stare. We made eye contact when I got off the tram and I was only 5 foot 6. 16 year old kid. Definitely not intimidating. All I know about this experience is that I'm glad my dad picked me up outside the station. And I never want to experience the feeling of being followed again.